Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. So if you have your Bibles, that's a good thing to do at church. Go to Mark chapter 6, and then also be ready to flip backwards to Matthew chapter number 14. Mark chapter 6, and Matthew chapter number 14. I'm going to preach a message that I've preached before. I don't know that anyone here has heard me preach it before, but this is a message I've probably preached. I know I've preached it twice. I might have preached it three times since the Lord gave it to me, and every now and then He brings me back to this and and prompts me to preach it again. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read my passages first, and then I'll, I'll give you a, a title. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. And reading through verse 50, it reads like this. It says, And straightway he, being Jesus, if we read this in context, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he walked, I'm sorry, immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now, one reason that it's important to read your Bible through, especially when you're reading through the Gospels, is the Gospel writers will, one will reveal details to an account that another may not have been prompted to write. So we're going to skip over now to the book of Matthew, and I'm going to begin to read from the same account, and I'm going to pick up right where we left off in the book of Mark. So everything in context of this passage in Matthew that I just read in Mark has already taken place. And I'm going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14, Verse 28, and I'm going to read down through verse 34. It says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. 
Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. <coughs> and when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. There have been a lot of messages preached from this passage. I would venture to say most of you have probably read this. You've probably heard people speak about this passage, and undoubtedly there are a lot of lessons to learn from this passage. It seems that when we go here, our attention is captivated by the momentary actions of a singular disciple. And the, the actions of Peter capture our attention. And, and we love the idea of Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. He, he threw caution to the wind, it seems, and, and he stepped out and abandoned everything in order to get to where Jesus was. And I don't want to take anything away from those messages today because I believe that there are a lot of truth in that and there is room to draw that from the Scripture. But what I want to preach to us about today, and I believe within the context of this passage, there is an equal, if not greater amount of faith found in the actions of the other 11 disciples. So I want to preach to us today, stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. I'm going to break this down because I, I know it's probably not been presented to you in this way. So I want to walk through the passage and, and I want you to make sure I'm in the book as I, I lay the foundation for the idea that I want to preach. The first thing that we see as this story begins to unfold is the Scripture tells us Jesus constrains His disciples to enter the ship. He constrains them. When you look at other translations, that word constrain is translated as made. He made them enter a ship. He implored them. He compelled them. And some translations use such a strong word as commanded them. He commanded them to enter the ship. Jesus did not hold a vote. He didn't convene a council. He didn't provide them with the destination that He was going to meet them in and leave the method of transportation up to them. Jesus constrained or commanded them to enter the ship. He did not take them down to the docks and say, well, folks, there's, there's a lot of ships around. Just go ahead and pick one. Make sure you meet me on the other side. I'll, I'll be there around dawn and, and we'll meet up. He chose a specific ship. There is no record in the Scripture of any argument or hesitation. There was no reservations about the, the uh, wave-worthiness of the ship that Jesus chose. None of the disciples pulled Him aside and said, Well, Lord, I, I, I just want to express I'm a little concerned about the ship that You've picked. I, I don't know if it's going to get us to the other side. I, I don't know if it can, can make the journey. None of them had an issue with the ship. It appears that at this point, the disciples felt confident in the vessel that Jesus had selected and that it was adequate enough to withstand the journey ahead. The second thing that we see is that the conditions of the environment that Jesus sent them into became extremely difficult. They were obeying the voice of God and their conditions, their environment, the world that they soon found themselves in was very contrary to where they were trying to get to. The Bible says that when Jesus stood alone on the shore, He looked out and He found them toiling and rowing. Toiling and rowing. Jesus didn't send them out in a brand new yacht club with a 250 horsepower engine 
just purring, you know, they start up and just they're going from wave top to wave top. That's not what it looked like. They were they were not trolling through the storm, but they were toiling through the storm. This particular boat that Jesus had selected was only propelled forward by the faithful service of his disciples. The only thing in that boat that had the ability to move it forward in the will of God was the faithful efforts of his disciples. Remember that because it's going to be important in a little while. Not only were these men physically committed, but they must have been unified in their mindset. They were fixed on forward progress despite their circumstances. The Bible states that the wind was contrary to them. So let's just think that through for a minute. Have, has anyone ever been in a boat that you were trying to row into the wind? I've been there. I, I like to duck hunt, and sometimes my desire to get to just the right spot overrides common sense, and I put myself in negative situations. And I've been in there in the boat with my paddle, and the wind's blowing at me, and I've got to get back to the truck, or I'm going to be spending a very cold night in a swamp somewhere. And so you take the paddle, and you just paddle, 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 and you look up, and, and the shoreline's like, <laughs> you've paddled about 9,000 times in this time frame, and you're not making a whole lot of progress. These men were not only physically committed but they must have had a mental resolve to just, to just keep paddling. It was the, the fourth watch of the night. It was late in the evening. They, they had been at this for a while. It wasn't a small body of water. It would have been easier to just turn around and row with the wind. After all, they could have waited for the wind to calm down and the storm to pass. They could have waited for a more convenient time to obey the command of Jesus. Maybe they could have explained that. God, I'm, I'm sorry we're late, but you see this storm came up. And so what we did is we, we sought solace behind this cove and, and we waited for the storm to pass. And then when it was convenient, we got back out in, into the will that you, you declared for us and we, we paddled on across and here we are. But they didn't do that. They could have had the best of intentions concerning obeying Jesus in the long run and just sought a place to rest until the environment pursues or, or let up. But they didn't do that. Jesus saw these men toiling in rowing. Exhausted, somewhat discouraged. The Bible tells us they were only halfway across. Each one knowing that his efforts were futile without the efforts of the others. They rowed on. That's important too. Their efforts were futile without the efforts of the others. One man could not propel that ship forward. It took all of them working together. Somewhere along the way though, the winds and the waves captured their attention and they allowed fear to settle in and began to doubt the ability of the vessel that they only hours earlier had placed their confidence in. They began to question whether or not it was going to make it to the other side. The vessel that had been chosen by Jesus himself. And then someone sees him. You can imagine with the rain stinging into their eyes. They, they probably didn't say anything at first thinking it was just their imagination. But finally somebody spoke up and said, hey, 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 guys, look, look over there. Is that? No, it, it couldn't be. It couldn't be Jesus. That's, an, 
That's impossible. If anyone should have known that nothing was impossible, it should have been the men inside of this boat. But yet their fear had so overtaken them that they thought, no, no, that's, that's impossible. And the fear that they had already given way to began to produce more fear. And they refused to accept the miracle that was literally standing right in front of them. They came to the conclusion that troubled them even more that the storm had overtaken Jesus Himself and what they were now seeing was a ghost of their deceased Master. That was the mindset of these people. Now we see a dialogue begin to unfold. It ultimately leads to Peter exiting the boat. But what I'm presenting to us today is I don't believe it was the intention of Jesus to call Peter out of the vessel that He Himself had provided for him to cross the sea. The passage tells us very plainly that Jesus would have passed by. He had no intention of stopping. He was on His way to the other side because that's where He said He was going to meet them. It does not say that He saw them toiling and felt compelled to run to their rescue. The Bible does not tell us that He saw them toiling and was moved on compassion and so He made His way out to them. He was simply going to where He said He was going to be. And He would have. Would. Would. Let's get, let's get language class here. I'm the wrong person to teach that class. But like would, okay? That's associated with will. It was his will at the time to pass them by. He was going to walk right by them and go to the other shore that he had commanded them to meet him on. But they seen him and they began to cry out and the disciples cried out and it stopped Jesus. And he simply replies to them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Now, does anything in the statement of Jesus convince anyone they need to get out of a boat? He gave no inclination that they should exit the ship. But Peter, who on more than one occasion allows his mouth to get him in trouble, makes a request of the Lord in such a way that it limits how Jesus can answer. We... God spoke to us last week about making sure that our prayers uh, involve His will. But Peter fails to do that here. What did Jesus just say? He said, He said, be of good cheer. And then He said three words. It is I. That's what Jesus said. He said, it is I. And Peter says, let me find it. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come unto you. Now what's Jesus supposed to say to that? He's left with two options. Deny himself or bid Peter to come. Because Peter's request did not leave room for the will of God. Peter's request was simply, you said it was you. If it's really you, tell me to come out there. So, Jesus says, well, I, I am who I am. I just told you it was me, so uh, come on. Come on out. Jesus calls Peter to come. Peter steps out of the boat, and for a moment, he experiences the supernatural. I mean, he does walk on water. That's pretty incredible. But it doesn't take long once outside of the safety of the vessel that Jesus chose for the wind and the waves to take effect on his faith. 
his doubt returns and he quickly begins to seek. To sink. <laughs> he began to seek too. You see, momentary supernatural experience was not enough to carry Peter to the other side. It wasn't enough to get him to where Jesus wanted him to be. He begins to sink and he cries out, Save me! To which Jesus stretches out his hand and he takes Peter by the hand and he immediately leads him back to the vessel. Jesus did not lift Peter out of the waves when he began to sink and carry him to the other side. Jesus did not reinvigorate Peter's faith and allow him to march across the rest of the waves and make it to the other side. Jesus didn't allow Peter to hover and float and somehow just just like a, a hoverboard before its time make his way to the other side. No, Jesus took him by the hand and He gently led him back to the very vessel that He put him in in the first place. And it was not until Peter was back in the boat that the storm ceased. He put him back in the boat and it says when they came back into the ship that the, the wind ceased and the storm went away. And that vessel that Jesus had ordained from the very beginning took them right on across the sea just like Jesus said it would and they landed on the other shore. The story comes to a conclusion with both ship and crew reaching its destination. Am I in the book? Good. Because I've not come to just simply analyze a passage of Scripture. Nor have I come to just preach to you about a boat that the disciples once rode in. However, you and I also find ourselves in a similar situation as the disciples in this passage. We all at one time or another, maybe you're there now, maybe you were there 20 years ago, it doesn't really matter the time frame, but we have stood on one sin-sick shore knowing that we were wrong with God. We were not where we needed to be. And we looked out across a sea longing to be where He was going to be. And we knew without a shadow of a doubt that we could not swim there ourselves. It was, it was too far. The distance was too great. We had no ability to cross it. And Jesus comes on the scene and He delivers to us. He, he, he puts within our path or, or puts us within a mode of transportation that He has designed to take us from where we were to where we long to be. He did not provide us with a variety of choices. He did not take us to the shore and say, well, one of these days I want to meet you over there and so I, I sure hope you figure out a way to get there. He didn't do that. We were dazed. We were discouraged. We didn't know what to do. Jesus came and He led us. He led us to a boat. The boat I'm preaching about today is called the church. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. There's no need to get out of the boat. Allow me to clarify what I mean by church. Jesus, he, he was specific with the ship that He put them in, and He was specific with the church that He's called us to. I'll be plain enough to say if it does not declare that there is one God, it's not a church. I'm sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. It's the Word of God. There is one God. 
If, if, if somebody stands in a pulpit and declares anything other than that, then, then the building and the organization and the fellowship around them is not of the church. If they declare that there is salvation through any other means than repentance of one's sins, baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of those sins, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues, it is not a church. If they deny the lifestyle of holiness and godly living, it is not a church. There are a lot of good organizations that are doing good things in a sin-sick world, but it does not qualify them to be a church. Jesus chose a specific vessel. It's a specific message. It's not up for debate. There are a lot of people that get along in this journey and then they start looking around and say, well, you know, down the street, there's a better looking vessel. Just just down the road, there, there's something that's more appealing to my eye. It's got a better paint job and, and a bigger motor. And, and you know, across town, there's one that the captain preaches a message that's a lot more socially acceptable. And, and I know of a boat that's just a little bit larger than the one that, that you're talking about today, but they're not the vessel that God chose. With our introduction to the church, we had no arguments, hesitations, or reservations to the church. I don't know about you, but when Jesus started to find me in my mess and in my sin, and and He found a 15-year-old young man who was lost, completely lost, completely hurt, completely broken, angry about things he didn't even understand, messed up with drugs, messed up with alcohol, messed up with violence, and he showed me this beautiful thing called the church. I didn't stand back and say, well, God, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I, if I like that vessel. I, I think I have a couple issues with that vessel. I, I don't know if I, if I like everything. I don't know if I like everyone. I didn't have a single problem with the church because I recognized in that moment it was the only thing that was going to carry me across that sea. It was the only thing that was going to get me to the other side. So how foolish would I be to turn around a year or six months or six years or 25 years later and begin to pick apart the very vessel that God placed me in. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. However, not far into the journey, we realize that the waves of life are much larger than we thought. The message portrayed by the media screams against the standards of the boat. Friends, friends that come into our life tempt us to betray Jesus. Sickness rears its ugly head. We suffer persecution. We have relationships that try to rob God of time, energy, and sometimes even compromise His commands. We have bills that pile up and troubles that arise at home. Sometimes we even begin to have disagreements with other people on the ship. And we start to question, can this boat really withstand these waves? Is the boat really strong enough to make it to the other side? Just like these disciples, we begin to question the wave-worthiness of the vessel God placed us in. Can the church really provide me safe passage through this world? I'm preaching to you today, stay in the boat. Just as the boat that Jesus chose in the passage relied on the faithful efforts of His disciples to move forward, the church is where it is today because of the faithful efforts of those who have gone before us. There have been men and women who are willing to sacrifice, willing to give, willing to to lay down parts of their life and sometimes lay down even their life in order to propel this vessel forward. 
We talk about making disciples. Well, I want to give you the best way that you can become a disciple today. You need to find yourself a seat in the boat where you've got a good view of an elder. Somebody that's been there longer than you. And you need to see what they're doing. They've got their hands on an oar. And you need to grab a hold of that thing. And when they pull, you pull. And when they push, Amen. you push. And it's the faithful Amen. efforts of the disciples Amen. of Jesus that will continue to move the church forward in the midst of the storm we call life. Amen. It's the faithful efforts. One person's efforts alone will not do it. I cannot build this church, and nor can you. I cannot move this church forward in the will of God, and nor can you. But we can move this church forward in the will of God. Amen. Working together. Faithful effort. One eye locked on another. We've got enough, enough contempt and disrespect in this world to create its own sea. What we need is respect and admiration for those that have gone before us and paved a path. The Scripture tells us to remove not the landmarks. Things that were set in place by elders, there's a reason they're there. There's, yes. there's a purpose for what has been put in place. I'm not going to stay here too long, but I, I will revisit it because it's in the context. We have to watch what we pray. Peter's prayer excluded the will of God. His request was based on fear and not faith. I realize that's kind of, kind of uh, contrary to the way that this is preached many times. But Peter's request was not based on faith. Peter's request was based on the fact that he was scared to death. And he didn't trust the vessel. And he didn't know how it was going to work. Can I tell somebody it is irrational to abandon a ship for fear of drowning? Amen. Peter thought, oh no, the ship's going to sink and we're all going to die. i got to get out of here. Where are you going to go? You're surrounded by water. You're scared of drowning and you want to leave the only thing keeping you afloat. Say, oh, that's so stupid. Come on, Peter. And yet we come through trials in life and we start to struggle and we start to have hardships and things come up and, and, and our faith is shaking a little bit and we start thinking, I'm just going to leave the church. I don't know if the church is going to... i got some issues with the church. I, uh, the church is rubbing me the wrong way right now. So-and-so really ticked me off. Can you, can you believe that that, that that was preached or that was taught? I, I don't like the way that came across. And so, you know what? I, I don't know if I'm confident that it can take me to the other side. I'm just going to get out now. And it's like stepping out of a ship for fear of drowning and, and plummeting yourself into the water. Stay in the boat. Abandoning ship simply seals your faith. You will not make it to heaven outside of the church. That's another strong statement, but I'll make it again. You're not going to make it to heaven outside of the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. We have this all the way back in the Old Testament. No one made it save eight souls who were smart enough to get in the boat. Noah and his family had to be in the boat. At any point in time, if, if one of those individuals would have said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being in the boat. These animals stink. My family's driving me up the wall. I can't take it anymore. I'm climbing out that window and I'm getting out of the boat. Their fate would have been sealed. 
You've got to stay in the boat. You find yourself outside of the ship, there's good news. All it took was Peter's cry for salvation and a willingness to re-enter the ship for him to be saved. When he found himself outside of that vessel that God had created, outside of the, the boat that, that the Lord had put him in, the very thing that was going to take him to the other side, he, he steps out and he realizes, uh-oh. And he begins to sink and he cries out to God and God just very quickly comes right to where he's at and takes him by the hand in such a gentle way. But he does not condone his exit of the ship. He gently takes him by the hand. In the middle of his mess, in the middle of his sin, in the middle of his foolish decision to, to paint God into a corner and, and say that God, it was God's fault he was out there. The Lord meets him there and he says, let's, let's, go, let's go back to the ship. Peter, remember I gave you something. I put something in your life, Peter. And I told you when you got in that it would take you to the other side. Now here you are out, out walking on the waves, out playing around in things you shouldn't be playing in. Let me, let me get you back to the, to the ship. See, somehow in our mind, the enemy convinces us at times that if we just get out of the ship, the storms will stop. So I, I don't know how this works within our psyche, but the enemy plays this card over and over and over again. And, and people think somehow, if I just leave the church, the devil will leave me alone. If I just stop trying to please God, my life will become easier. Can I remind you that the Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. Peter's exiting of the ship did not change his circumstances one bit. Except now, he was there without the help of God. You leaving the church, you backsliding, you letting up on commitment, you going the opposite direction is not going to make your life better. It's still going to be trials and tribulations and struggles. And you're going to have no safety. No safety. It was not until they made it back into the vessel that things began to calm down in Peter's life. It was when he was, he was planted and the desire to leave was gone. And something so miraculous had taken place that faith began to again replace fear that the storm subsided and the waves calmed and they just kept on rowing. They just kept on rowing. They just kept on rowing. And before you know it, they found themselves on a shore. I think the response of the other 11 is worth noting. May we be a church that's, that's eager to see backslidden people who have left the ship come back to God. Amen. They did not encourage Peter's forsaking of the boat. Not a single man in that ship lifted up his voice and encouraged Peter. At least we don't read about it in Scripture. It's not there. But neither did they condemn him when he returned. You idiot. What'd you do that for? There you go, getting in trouble again, Peter. What's your pro They didn't do that. No, what they do, they gathered around and they begin to worship God. Hallelujah. That ought to be the response. Somebody comes walking through the doors of this church. Somebody starts making their way back to God, and they've been out in the waves. They come in, they're sopping wet. They smell like salt water. They got trouble, and there's seaweed dripping off their fingertips. Oh, praise God! 
Praise God. It's not about you fool for leaving. I didn't encourage you to go there, but oh, praise God. Look who's back. Peter's back in the boat. Thank Man, thank God Peter's back in the boat. That's, that's reason to celebrate. Jesus never promised smooth sailing when He put His disciples in this vessel. But He did promise that it would withstand every storm that may arise. I'm, I'm filled with great excitement in preaching this message because before me is a congregation of people that have again made the decision to show up at church. Showing up at church and to be the church. Gathered together with a mindset that I'm, I'm going to stay in the boat. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in the boat. There's no ministry outside of the boat. There's no salvation outside of the boat. For those that are able to weather the storm and stay in the boat, our story will end just like the account in Scripture. We will reach our destination. It's a 27 million square mile city that shines like a crystal. It's square in design with a great wall and three gates on every side. The gates are made of single pearls and the walls made of jasper. Much of the city, including the streets, are constructed of gold so pure it seems transparent. The Bible tells us that there are twelve foundations made of precious stones such as jasper and sapphire and emerald and topaz. Some I can't pronounce and others that we've never seen on earth. And the greatest thing of it all is just like He said He would be, Jesus is there. He's on the other side. He's awaiting our revive, our, our arrival. He's there like He said He would be. And the vessel that He put you in will be faithful to carry you to that place. This boat will soon land on the shores of glory. And the last place you're going to want to be is out walking on the waves of this world. I can't be any more plain. I know wave walking sounds exciting. I know that that momentary supernatural experience sounds great, but, but I'm telling you the last place Peter would have wanted to find himself when that boat nosed into the ground and they made it to where Jesus said they were going to be was going to be out there walking around on the waves somewhere wondering why he didn't make it. I'm preaching stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. It's a good church. It's a good church. It's a good thing to be a part of. Mm. I wish I could sing. There's some old songs that come to mind. Come on, I'm going to take a trip in that good old gospel ship going far beyond the sky. I'm going to shout and sing until the heavens break. When I'm bidding this world goodbye. It's the good old gospel ship. There's nothing wrong with it. It's seaworthy. It's not going to let you down. It's not going to let you down. It's the church triumphant. There's another one. It's that same church that's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. What's the song say? One of these days the church is going to move up higher. It's the thing that's going to carry me out of this world. I'm not angry with the church. I'm not down and on the church. It's the greatest thing God's ever put in my life. This side of heaven is the church. It's His bride. It's His body. It's His people. 
It's the thing that He purchased with His own blood. How foolish would I be to try to tear it apart and pick it apart and find issues and faults and this and that and the other thing. It's not always going to be perfect. There are times I'm going to be tired in, in rowing and you're going to be tired in rowing and, and my elbow is going to bump your elbow and we're, and we're going to cross eyes a little bit. But you know what? At the end of the day, I don't want you to leave the boat. I hope you don't want me to leave the boat. we got to stay in the boat together. It's the thing that God's placed us in. It's the thing God's placed us in. I don't know where you're at in your spirit. I don't know where you're at really in life. I, I, I preach a simple message of salvation right now before I close. If you've never actually taken the step off the dock and, and put yourself in this boat, you could be introduced to something miraculous today. You could take that step. You can come to an altar and repent of your sins. It's very, very simple. God, I realize I'm never going to make it across this sea without You. I realize that all the things in my life that I've done to this point have not qualified me to enter into that land that You're talking about. But, but, but I'm sorry. And I don't want to live that way anymore. And if You'll help me, I'll forsake that lifestyle and I'll follow after You. That's repentance. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. I don't care. We'll find a hotel somewhere. We'll sneak in when they're not looking. We'll find somebody with a deep bathtub. I will find a way to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're brave enough, I don't care. I'll walk right out in the river right now. It'll be cold. It'll be cold, but your sins can be washed away in the waters of baptism. If you've never received the infilling of the Holy Ghost... Oh man, God can fill you with His Spirit today. I would encourage you, if, if that's where you're at, in just a moment when I close this service, to, to make your way to the front. We, we call this the altar. Make your way to the front and just raise your hands and begin to worship God. Thank you, Lord. God, I love you. Yes. You're a great God. You're a, you're a worthy God. I, I want to live my life for you. I need your Spirit in me to help me to do that. And as you begin to worship God... The Scripture says the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God gives the utterance and you will begin to speak in a language that you don't know as God fills you with the Holy Ghost. As God fills you with the Holy Ghost. If you're in the boat and fear is setting in and you're looking around at waves, I, I, I'm just compelling you, stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Uh, if I if I knew another language, I'd say it in another language. Just just don't get out of the boat. We're too close to the other shore to get out now. Stay stay in the boat. And if you're firmly planted and your mind's made up, bless God, I'm I'm glad for it. But I just let it sink in as a reminder. I'm not going to allow the negativity of this world to begin to creep into my mindset about the vessel God put me in. This is a beautiful vessel. It, it might be a little rugged. There might be some splinters here and there, but this is a, this is a beautiful vessel. This thing that God has put me in. Stay in the boat. There were 11 men in that ship that had faith in what God said when they left the dock and they never got out of the boat. And I know we preach about the faith of Peter. And it's there. There's, me- there's a message there. But let's, let's think about the faith of the other 11 who said, man, it looks bad. The waves, they're throwing us all around. We've been out here all night rowing. 
But you know what? I'm, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay in the boat. I'm going to close. I'm going to play some music. I realize there could be people at every different stage that I've mentioned here. I'd encourage you to pray a prayer of declaration before you leave here. Establish some things in your spirit. I'm not getting out. I'm not getting out. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay in the boat. Trinkets and the shiny things of this world try to capture my attention. They try to pull me. There, there's some things that look an awful lot like the church. If I just compromise here, if I just let go of something there. But no, no, I'm staying in the boat. I'm not getting out. Jesus said to, to stay in this boat. <laughs> they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not getting out. I'm not leaving. I'm not forsaking the very gift that God gave me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. We need you, Lord. We're longing for the day when we can reach the other side. We're going to reach the other side. I'm going to make it. God, I, I determine in my spirit, I'm not going to turn to the left hand or to the right hand. Let my eyes be set straight forward. Let, let my eyes be, be fixed on the shoreline that's ahead of me. Help me not to be captivated by the waves and the trials and the storms of this life. But God, help me. Help me, Jesus, to be faithful to the thing that you've called me to. To be faithful to the vessel that you've put me in. Remind me, Lord, of how confident I was in that vessel in the day you first brought me there. Oh, it's been good to me so far. Why would I turn my back on it now? Oh, Jesus, I thank you for the church. I thank you for every leader you've put in my life. I thank you for every man of God that you've put in my life. I thank you, Lord, for every every directive. Lord, for every guidance, Jesus, that you've given me. Guidelines that you've put in my life that at times I didn't understand, but, but somehow you, you gave me enough wisdom to become obedient to those things. And now I see why they're there. I see why there's guardrails around the edge of the ship. You don't want people falling overboard. I see, Lord, why there are, are, are requirements. Oh, I see the necessity of working in ministry because that's how we move this thing forward, God. I thank you for the church. I thank you for the church. I pray for those that are you've charged with leading this thing called the church. I lift up our leaders to you right now, Lord, and I pray that you give them wisdom. You give them sincerity. God, that you give them sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. I lift up, Lord, every superintendent, every presbyter, Lord, every general officer of this thing that we call the church. I pray, Lord, that you would keep your hand on them that you would lead them and guide them. Every ship needs a captain. And Lord, you've placed leadership among your people. You've given us ministry, five-fold ministry, Lord. And they speak directives and words to us, and we're grateful for it. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise your name. I pray against any bitterness, anything that would try to creep into the heart of your people. 
place between one human and another human that would drive one or the other. Or God submit both out of the boat, Lord. Let there be unity within this vessel. Let there be cohesion within this vessel, Lord. Just for more than you, for more than effective, we will work it in the name of all and in the same direction. Help us forward into revival, Lord. Let it be, let it be the byproduct of unified vision. Oh, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I know I need it. I need it. Still floating now. The first church in the book of Acts, Lord, they laid the, the foundation, the framework for this gospel ship. And that's what we're able to take it out of the skeptics that come against all the shore, all of hell, has been against the church since its inception. And yet it's not destroyed, but God is thriving and it's, it's doing well. It's trustworthy. Thank you for this thing called the church. Oh, praise your name. Praise your name. She let us have the mind of that Lord. Lord, we pull others into this vessel. Pull others into this vessel, Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.